Well, good morning. I hear you guys screaming and hooting and hollering out here. Is everything all good? Everything okay out here? <laughs> you just that excited to be here today? Yeah? Is anybody excited to be here today? Yeah! Well, good morning. If you, uh, if you got seats next to you, if you can move on over, we still have people coming on in. My name is Matt. Great to have you here with us today. Uh, my father is a former FBI agent, and uh, a, a lot of my dad's career was putting criminals behind bars, people that did things that they never should have done. My dad told me a story that took place several years ago in Albuquerque. He said there was this drug dealer, this notorious drug dealer in Albuquerque that he wanted to get off the streets. And so he told me, my dad told me, he's like, the, the way to get a criminal off the streets is be able to prove that they are a criminal. I said, well, Dad, how do you prove that a drug dealer is a drug dealer? How do, you, how do you get them off the streets? And he said, well, for this particular scenario, what he had to do is create a fake drug deal with an undercover sting operation and this notorious drug dealer. I said, Dad, how did you do that? He said, here's how we did it. He said, what we did is we got an undercover FBI agent to get in an unmarked FBI vehicle to drive down the street where this drug dealer would oftentimes walk out to the cars and deal drugs to the cars. It's like, almost like a, a drive through Chick-fil-A, only instead of getting a chicken sandwich, you're getting like crack. <laughs> and so, so people would drive up and, and get drugs from this guy. And so I said, well, Dad, how do you, how do you capture all that on, on video? He said, well, we got, the, we got this unmarked vehicle. And, and we got this undercover agent in, that's going to be driving the car. And in the back seat of the car, he said, I put some subwoofers back there that like rattle windows. You know those big like speakers, the boom, da da boom, da da boom. These, these are the speakers that drive you crazy when you pull up to a red light and you're like, why is it so loud? And, and, and the, it's the, the speakers that rattle the windows in your house when people are driving by. It drives you crazy. Anyway, so my dad put a, a case of these speakers in the back so it would provide this boom, da da boom, da da boom. But then... In that case, he put an undercover camera, so it filmed from the back seat forward. It filmed everything that was going on, so perhaps they could capture a fake drug deal going on between the drug dealer and the undercover FBI agent. So all this was in place. My dad orchestrated all of this, and they get this car driving down the street, boom, da da boom, da da boom, da da boom, with the undercover FBI agent driving the car. Well, sure enough, drug dealer comes out. And drug dealer leans into the window, and the guy, the undercover guy, invites him in for a conversation. And typically, this is how the drug deal goes down. And so they get into the car. He gets into the car, and they start driving around the neighborhood. And oftentimes, this is how this drug dealer worked. They'd get in the car, they would drive around, do the drug deal, and then he'd get back out. So sure enough, they have this whole conversation. They do this whole drug deal. Undercover FBI agent brings him back to his house, drops him off. They had done this, this exchange of drugs for money. And so instead of arresting him on the spot, the undercover guy let him back out at his house, and then he drove away. Well, a couple days later, the FBI came back. This time, not undercover. This time, lights, sirens, masks, helmets, guns, shields, they come ready. They kick this guy's door down. They arrest him. They take him, and they put him in a processing room, at which point my dad walks in as an FBI agent, and he comes in, and he sees this drug, drug dealer. His name's Joe. My dad says, Joe, hello. My name is Special Agent Mizell. And Joe says, you don't know me. <laughs> my dad says, well, actually, Joe, I do know you because we've been watching you for quite some time. We have surveillance on you, and so this can go one of two directions. You can cooperate with us as the FBI, or you can resist, and, and things will not go as well for you. So I'm asking you to cooperate. Will you just admit that you are a drug dealer? And Joe says, I ain't no drug dealer. 
I ain't done nothing wrong. I'm innocent. You can't prove nothing against me. And my dad said, well, I thought perhaps that you might say that. So let me show you some of the footage that we have of you doing a drug deal to prove that you're a drug dealer. So my dad goes over to the VCR, puts in the tape, pushes play, and begin on the, begins on the screen to show this drug deal of Joe with this undercover FBI agent. So the video footage starts playing. You see the, the car pulling up into the neighborhood, pulling outside of Joe's house. And then there's Joe. He walks over to the car and gets into the car. And my dad pauses the video. He's like, there you are, Joe. There you are. You're getting into the car. I've got you on video getting into the car. And Joe looks at my dad. He's like, that ain't me. <laughs> I don't know who that guy is, but that ain't me. You can't see my face in that video. That ain't me. I'm not sure who that is, but, but, but that ain't me. I'm telling you, I'm innocent. My dad says, okay, uh, all right, if you want to play that way, that's fine. Let's play that way. He's like, you perhaps can convince the judge and the jury that that ain't you. As long as you don't talk, Joe, <laughs> as long as you don't open your mouth in the car, uh, then, then maybe we will, you'll be, have, be able to have an argument that that ain't you. So my dad says, let's, let's keep watching the footage. So he pushes play on the VCR again. Footage starts playing again, at which point the undercover agent that's in the car, he turned down the subwoofers, the music, boom, 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 gets quiet, at which point, point Joe starts talking. My dad pauses the video again. He's like, Joe, you're talking. I can hear your voice. It's the same voice on the video as it is here in the processing room. That's you. Joe looks at my dad. He's like, that guy sound like me, but that ain't me. <laughs> My dad says, okay, hold on to that argument. Maybe you could convince the judge and the jury. As long as you don't turn around and look into the camera, you might be okay. So let's see what happens. He pushes play again. The conversation inside this undercover car continues going on. And at one point, the undercover agent says, hey, man, check out the subs in my back seat. Joe turns around, whoop, looks in the back seat on camera. My dad pauses the video. He's like, Joe, there's your face. You're looking into the camera, Joe. Joe says to my dad, he's like, that guy looked like me. That guy sound like me, but that ain't me. <laughs> my dad's like, okay, let's keep playing this game. He's like, hold on to that story, Joe. As long as you don't say your name, you might be able to convince the judge and the jury that ain't, that ain't you. But let's see what happens. He pushes play as he continues on playing this video. Uh, the undercover agent engages him in this conversation. And at one point, they've done this drug deal. The undercover guy says to Joe, he's like, hey, man, thank you for the drugs. Hey, what's your name? Joe's like, my name is Joe. <laughs> My dad pauses the video. He's like, Joe, you just said your name on video. That's got to be you, right? That's you. And Joe's like, look, that guy looked like me. That guy sound like me. That guy's even got my same name, but that ain't me. And then Joe says this to my dad. He's like, but I hope you find that guy. <laughs> <laughs> At which point, both my dad and Joe start laughing, and, and then Joe's like, okay, you got me, you got me. <laughs> we we are starting, uh, started a brand new series last week called I Am Not, and it's this whole idea of identity, and, and, and it's a pretty controversial statement. When Jesus says these two words of I am, it's a controversial statement, and we're going to dig into as far as why that is. In fact, 1,500 years before Jesus ever showed up, there's a guy named Moses, and Moses had, had God come to him one day, and God said to Moses, Moses, I want you to tell your people, I want you to tell the Israelites that, that they're going to be freed. I want you to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses says back to God, nah, you got the wrong guy, God. You got, you got the wrong guy. I'm not your guy to go in and, and to, to talk to, to Pharaoh into the temple. I'm not, I'm not the guy to go and, and speak to Pharaoh. 
Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt. I'm not that right guy. And God says, no, 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 I choose you. I pick you. I want you, Moses. Moses is like, no, I, 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 I stutter and I don't talk good. And he says, no, God says, I, I, I pick you. I'm going to use you. I'm going to give you the words to say. And Moses keeps creating these excuses. I, I might look like the right guy. I might sound like the right guy, but I'm not the right guy. God, pick somebody else. I'm not your guy for the job. How many times do you and I, you feel like we are, we are compelled to do something. We're f- compelled to talk to this person or bless this person or serve this person. But then we're like, no, God, use somebody else. Don't pick me because it makes me too nervous. It makes me too anxious. Don't pick me, God. Pick somebody else. Have somebody else do what you want me to do, God. I'm not the right person. God says, no, I pick you. I choose you. You you look like the right person. You sound like the right person. You are the right person. Why? Because I use people who are broken, sinful, messed up people to do my perfect and holy and pleasing will. How many times do we resist doing what God would call us and have us do because of an insecurity of some sort? We resist doing what God wants us to do, and we don't trust God's creativity. God can use anybody, however he wants. If you're taking notes, you can pull out your program and write this in. Anytime you reject God's call, you reject God's creativity. Anytime you reject God's call in your life, you reject God's creativity. God uses people who are red, yellow, black, and white. They are precious in his sight. He uses all sorts of different people to accomplish his perfect will. You think God needs me? to do this job? You think God needs you to do whatever he wants you to do? No. You think God needed Moses to go to Pharaoh? No. God could have done his will however he wanted, however he saw fit. He chooses to use people like you, like me, like Moses. God tells Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and I want you to tell him, let my people go. And Moses says, no, you got the wrong guy. But okay, if I were, God, if I were to go say that to Pharaoh, if I were going to go say to Pharaoh, let my people go, who, God, who should I say sent me? At which point, God says this in an iconic statement in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you were to say to the Israelites. This is what you were to say to anybody that asks who sent you. This is what you were to say to Pharaoh. I am has sent me to you. In other words, God is taking on this identity. He's taking on this name by saying, my name is I am. God said to Moses, my name is I am. Now fast forward 1,500 years later, Jesus shows up. And Jesus starts dropping into his conversations, dropping into his teachings. He starts saying things like, I am this, I am that. And people start getting frustrated. Their feathers are getting ruffled because they're like, wait, wait, that's what God said. God said 1,500 years earlier, his name is I am. And Jesus, now you're using the name of I am? That's heresy. That's blasphemy. Pastor Michael uh, spoke about some verses where he, he talks about, it. in fact, in the book of John, seven instances where, where Jesus uses that phrase of I am, the statement, the identity saying, here's who I am. John 8, 12, we looked at this last week. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I will never walk in darkness. Jesus is talking not just about light and not just about darkness, but he's also talking about I am God. He's making the statement, I am a deity. I am, I am God in the flesh. I am the son of God. Perhaps people are like, wait, you might look like the Messiah. You might sound like the Messiah, but you ain't the Messiah. And Jesus is like, no, I am. I am who I am. I, I am God in the flesh. And this angered people because they thought this was blasphemous. Jesus said this. We talked about it last week too. John 6, 35. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. 
It's not just about hunger and thirst. He's making this claim. I am God in the flesh. John 10, 7, he says, I am the gate for the sheep. People were getting angered. You're blasphemous. You didn't even just say it one time. You're saying it over and over and over. You're saying you are God, Jesus. And people are having a really difficult time. And they think that, he, that he's being a, a, a heretic. They think this is heretical. Why? Because back 1,500 years earlier, God brought to the Israelites the Ten Commandments. You remember the Ten Commandments? This is how the Ten Commandments starts off in Exodus chapter 20. God said to the Israelites, he said, you should have no other gods before me. You should, make for, for, you should not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. That's what God had told the Israelites. I'm a jealous God. There's no other gods. And then later on, Jesus says, hey, I am God. Of course people think he's blasphemous. Of course they're having a hard time. It would be the same thing if you came to me after church and said, Pastor Matt, I got a secret to tell you. If you were to come up to me after church and tell me this and be like, hey, psst. If you were to tell me that, here's how I'd respond. I'd be like, psst, you are crazy. <laughs> and then I'd introduce you to some of my friends who, who wear white jackets and stethoscopes because I want to get you to the right people who can help you. Perhaps we can get a, a psych eval for, done for you in the hospital because anybody that claims to be God, that's, a, that's kind of a crazy outlandish claim. So I can understand, I can empathize, I can, I can get how people have a hard time with Jesus' statement saying, I am, I am God. And I get that. In fact, there's probably people even here this morning that you have a hard time with that. You have a difficult time. Is Jesus who he said he was? Is Jesus really the son of God? And if that's something that you've been chewing on, stewing on, something you've been thinking about, I have an answer for that question next week on Easter Sunday. <laughs> so come back next Sunday if you're interested in that. Speaking of Easter, uh, Statistics show that about, there's about 153 million Americans that don't go to church, that would go to church if somebody invited them. Easter Sunday is like Super Bowl Sunday for churches. 153 million Americans would go to church if somebody invited them. On every one of your chairs, you have a little door hanger. Pull out that door hanger. It looks a little something like this. Pull out that door hanger. Perhaps you have a little card. You can pull out a card as well. You got one final push. One final chance, go put this on a neighbor's door, take one of these cars and give it to a friend, a coworker, a family member. We have one final opportunity, seven more days before we have Easter. 153 million people would go to church that don't normally go to church if they simply were invited. Now let me put that number in perspective for you for a second. In the last presidential election, all the people of the popular vote between everybody from Hillary Clinton that voted for Hillary, as well as people that voted for Donald Trump. If you add up all those people, the entire popular vote in the presidential vote, it was about 129 million Americans who voted. 129 million. 153 million people would come to church if they were invited. Now dream with me for a second. If 153 million people showed up to church next Sunday... If 153 million people showed up to a church somewhere and heard the message of the gospel, if 153 million people hear about the, the grace and the love and the joy they get from a relationship with Jesus, 
If 153 million people said, I don't really care whether I'm a Democrat or a Green or a Republican Party, I don't really identify with that. I identify with God's word. His word is my standard. I'm voting based on what God's word says. If 153 million people around the United States of America started voting based on what God's word says, the morality of the standards based on scripture, can you imagine what the United States of America would look like? 153 million people? Now, perhaps you're the skeptic sitting here today and you're like, well, we don't have 153 million people in Farmington. True. We've got 41,000. We don't have nearly that many. And quite frankly, I don't want to invite 153 million people to this particular church because our parking would be a mess. <laughs> our bathrooms, they'd be like overflowing. We'd run out of coffee. People would be like, this is the worst church ever. I'm never coming back. We can't handle 153 million people. But one of, one of the guys that I follow, a pastor out in, uh, in Atlanta, Andy Stanley his name, is his name. He says, what you wish you could do for all, do for one. And my desire is that 153 million people hear the message of Jesus Christ next Sunday. And while we have the desire for 153 million people to hear that message, we can't fit them all here. But what we wish we could do for all, let's do for one. We can. We do have room for your extra friend. We have room for your Coworker, we have room for your spouse. We have room for your kids. We've got room for people in this community. We can just sit on our thumbs and watch people around us go to hell and make poor decisions, or we can say, you know what, this is Super Bowl Sunday. Let's pull out all the stops. Let's invite as many people as we possibly can because there really is a heaven, there really is a hell. And we want to introduce people to Jesus the best way we can. Because next Sunday, I'm talking about is Jesus who he said he was? And if the answer is yes, friends, that changes everything. A relationship with Jesus changes everything. And we're going to talk all about that next week. So I hope that you come back and I hope you don't come alone. I hope you bring people with you because that message is an inspiring message because Jesus never claimed just, just to be a good teacher. Jesus never claimed to be a prophet. Jesus never claimed just to be a good person. He said, I am the great I am. He's claiming to be God. So we need to figure out, is he authentic or not? Is he truthful or not? He made some pretty outlandish statements as we continue on looking at these I am statements like John 10, 14. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Sometimes when we study God's word, I would encourage you, don't just read verses for the sake of reading verses and checking off the box. Really dig into those ver verses. It's called exegetical studying or exegetical teaching. When you go through word by word, verse by verse, you're really able to get out some things that perhaps you would have missed. So let's just take this verse, for example, John 10, 14. There's four things that stand out to me in this particular verse. First thing is those two first words, I am. He's basically making the claim, I am deity, I am God in the flesh. That stands out like those other, uh, the seven statements of I am. But then there's another part that stands out to me. He says, I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep. I know my sheep. It is estimated that 3.78 billion people follow Jesus around the world. 3.78 billion Sometimes we hear in our society, in our culture, about influencers, Instagram influencers, Snapchat, uh, social media, Instagram, or, or, or influencers, people that have 10,000 followers, or 20,000 followers, or 50,000, or 100,000, or a million followers, and companies, organizations give these influencers free swag, free hotel stays, free food, free gear, free clothes, just to influence the people that are on their, their social media platforms. And, and while that's all good and dandy for those influencers, the single greatest influencer of all time is Jesus Christ. 3.78 billion people are following him. But, 
But this is crazy. He says in John 10, 14, I know my sheep. How crazy is that? It's one thing to have a million followers on Instagram, but to know a million people? Jesus knows 3.78 billion, and he doesn't just know them. He knows them, knows them. Here's what Jesus says in John 10, 3. He says, the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He knows your name, but he knows so much more about you than that. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows your passions. He knows your dreams. He knows your ambitions. He knows your struggles. He knows what you did last summer. (laughs) He knows all about you, and he still loves you. I do a lot of premarital counseling with couples. There's about four different couples that I'm meeting with right now. I was meeting with a couple uh, a few weeks ago, and, and as as we're talking, oftentimes I dig into their past, into their story, and, and I'm asking them, how, how did you meet? How did you fall in love? When did you lock eyes for the first time? So the groom is telling me this whole story that he, that he met this girl at a, at a party, and, and he saw her, but then he left the party, and then he decided to come back because he wanted to get her phone number. And while he's telling this whole story, the bride looks at him, and she was like, babe, she's like, I never knew that part of the story. And I was like, that's awesome. Like, here I am, like the mediator, and they're like, oh like all getting all ooey gooey I'm like you want me to leave and come back like you want to make out for a while and then I'll return but I asked him I was like I was like how long you guys been together and the bride's like five years been together for five years and I'm like so you're telling me you're still learning things about the other person that you didn't know before and the reality is of course they are my, my best friend, my wife, Ashton, I continue, almost 10 years into marriage, I continue to learn things about her that, that surprise me, that are exciting to me. And here's what's awesome about that. When I continue to find things out about my wife that I didn't know before, there's more of her for me to love. I, I, I love that I can continue to explore and get to know her and get to know her better and better and better. If you are not yet engaged or if you want to be married, if you're engaged right now, I would encourage you, take premarital counseling. The likelihood of you staying together goes 34% higher because of premarital counseling. But those of you who are married, don't stop getting to know your spouse. Don't stop dating your spouse. Don't stop learning and being excited about the exploration of this person who you've made commitments to till death do you part. I don't care if you've been married for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years or, or more. There's always more to learn and discover. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep. He knows you well. And he loves you. Whether it's good, whether it's bad. He knows us He loves us. But then he says this in the the next part of the verse. He says this. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Perhaps that's a, a gut question for you this morning. Do you really know Jesus? He knows you intimately. He knows you well. Do you really know Jesus, or is it just a matter of coming to church, checking a box? Do you really know him well? And I would venture to assume if the answer, I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands or anything, but if, there, if the answer deep inside your core, inside your mind, if you're like, I don't really have a relationship with Jesus, I don't really know him myself, if the answer is no, I would venture to assume that's because perhaps you've missed part of what Jesus already said. In this verse, John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd. Because a lot of people have this assumption about God that he's just waiting for you to mess up so he can strike you with lightning and and smite you off this earth. If you don't go to church enough, God's not going to like you. 
You, if you don't do enough things to earn his favor and earn his love, then, then you're not going to be like all those good, holy, righteous Christians out there. But here's the reality, friend. He's the good shepherd whether you're good or not. Jesus is the good shepherd, and he loves you whether you are good or whether you are bad. Whether you're Mother Teresa or whether you're Hitler. Jesus loves you, period. Now, here's, here's why God loves you. It's not based on how good or bad you are. He loves you because he created you. He loves you because he's designed you. You are his masterpiece. You are his workmanship. That's why he loves you. It's not contingent. There's no asterisk on his love for you. There's, there's, no, there's no ways that you can earn his love. There's nothing you can do that can separate his love. That's the epiphany that, that Paul had when he wrote to the, the Romans in Romans 8.38. Paul said this. He said, For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither, neither height nor depth, anything else in all creation, nothing will be able to separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's nothing you can do to separate yourself from God's love and there's nothing you can do to earn more of his love. He loves you because he's made you. He loves you because you are his best of his best in creation. He doesn't love you based on what you do. He loves you based on the fact that he's created you. He's knit you together. He's designed you. We oftentimes think that Jesus is not the good shepherd. He's He's waiting for us to screw up. But he is, he's the good shepherd. Which is perhaps why we call this coming Friday, Good Friday. If I was the dude in charge of naming holidays, I probably would not have named Good Friday, Good Friday. I probably would name it Black Friday. Because that's the day when Jesus hung on the cross. That's the day that the sky turned black. It's the day that the earth literally shook in an earthquake. It's the day that the curtain was torn in half. It's the day that everything seemed to change. I would call that Black Friday. But we, we refer to it as Good Friday. Perhaps because it's because of the Good Shepherd. Good Shepherd Friday. It's the Good Shepherd that paid the penalty on the cross. It's the Good Shepherd that gave up his life for his sheep. He's a Good Shepherd not a bad shepherd. If you're sitting here today and you're like, well, I don't know the good shepherd that well. I don't know Jesus that well. I'm, I'm investigating. I'm learning. I don't know a whole lot. That's okay. You're welcome here no matter what you look like, no matter what your faith is like. But if you want to be more connected to the good shepherd, there's a way you can do that. And Jesus says that in John 15, 5. He says, I am, there's another I am statement. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. You want to get to know Jesus better? Connect with Jesus. He says, I'm the vine. You're the branches. Does that mean that you're going to like start sprouting grapes and tomatoes and strawberries and peaches? No, that's not, it's not literal fruit he's talking about. What he's talking about is fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit, the, the, these attributes, these godly characteristics, we see them described in Galatians chapter 5 in the Bible. Here's the fruit of the Spirit that Jesus is referring to. He says, if you connect with me, more of this stuff will grow in your life. Here's the stuff he's talking about. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. When you're connected with Jesus, more of that stuff starts to bloom in your life. Now, if you want to know, if you want an authentic look, do I have fruit? God's fruit, Jesus' fruit, do I have that in my life? Go ask your spouse. Do you see these characteristics demonstrated in my life? Ask your kids. Do you see these things in my life? Do you see any of these fruits of the Spirit? Do you, do you see joy and love and hope and all gentleness, kindness? Do you see all these things in my life? Perhaps they might be like, well, 
<laughs> Sometimes? <laughs> I, I saw it like last month once. You were like, nice. <laughs> but keep in mind what Jesus says. He says, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Not just a scotch, not just a tiny, the teensy every once in a while. You will bear a lot of this fruit. If you want that type of uh, description, if you want people to look at you with a list of those godly characteristics, connect more to Jesus. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. The more you connect to Jesus, the more you look like Jesus. The more you're connected to the vine, the more fruit that you'll produce in your life. And I just want to be an encouragement to you this morning, friends. I really believe it's worth connecting to Jesus. Everything in my life is, is based on that statement. I want to invite you to connect with Jesus, especially in light of what Jesus says in John 14, 6, yet another I am statement when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now this verse, that verse is controversial. Because there's a lot of people that are like, wait, so Matt, you're saying Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. Nobody gets to God except for through Jesus. That's very arrogant of you, don't you think? Don't you think Christianity is very, very uh, arrogant? Don't you think that's very prideful to think that Jesus is the only way? What about the other 4,200 world religions? What about all these other faiths? Are you saying they're all excluded? None of them are welcome to get to heaven? Well, here's the interesting thing is that, yes, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. but, But he's not excluding people. Look at what's documented in John chapter 3, 17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's not exclusive. Basically, everybody is included. Jesus isn't exclusive. He's inclusive. He's saying anybody that wants to follow, anybody that wants to participate, you're all welcome. You're all welcome to this this holy party in heaven where we get to have an eternity with God. We're not saying, okay, this people over here, you're welcome, you're not, you're welcome, but you're not, you're in, you're out. No, everybody is invited to accept what Jesus did for them. So it's not exclusive. Jesus is very inclusive, saying anybody, anybody's welcome to come, which is why we have that as a core value here. We value all people because all people are created in the image of their creator, God loves all people. All people are able to accept what Jesus did on the cross. And and when somebody makes the decision, in fact, when one person says, you know what, I'm done with my old ways. I want to follow after Jesus. When one person makes that choice, look at what Jesus says in Luke 15.10. He says, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. How awesome is that? There's a party. There's a celebration in heaven when there's one sinner who repents. And and perhaps what you didn't realize this morning is that when you came in, you took a seat, you were standing and singing songs, you get to come and, and hear me. But what you didn't realize is that while you've been in here, we have a team of people out in the plaza transforming the plaza into a celebration this morning. We've got balloons and cookies out there. Why? Because when one sinner repents and turns towards God, there's a celebration in heaven. We don't have one here at Pinion Hills Community Church this morning. We have 28 individuals who have said, I, I'm going to follow after Jesus and I'm going to make that a public declaration by getting baptized today. How awesome is that that you and I get to be a part of that celebration. We're going to celebrate all these people that are getting dunked in just a moment. That are making the statement, Jesus is my way. He is my truth. He is my life. And we get to celebrate with the angels in heaven this morning because 28 people within our community have made that decision. How awesome is that? What a better way to celebrate Palm Sunday 
Palm Sunday, the day that Jesus is walking into Jerusalem and everybody bowed down before him. They cut palm trees and the branches off to lay down a path before him because they were singing, Hosanna, you're our savior. Hosanna in the highest. This is the son of God in the flesh and they're welcoming him. They're saying, you are God. You are who you say you are. What better way to celebrate that than for 28 people to make the public declaration saying, you are my savior. You are my Lord. You are my king of kings. You're my Lord of lords. And you are the great I am of my life. And if that means that he is the great I am, that means I am not.